Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Externally, I looked really productive. My kids had matching clothes that I sewed and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the cost to me was utter exhaustion and burnout. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I am super excited for this episode of the No More Perfect Podcast. If you tuned in to the last episode, which was episode one, I talked about having um, a big change in my life. Um, Jill 1.0 moved to Jill 2.0 when she stopped being a buck up wife and mom. And along that journey, I became familiar with a concept called HSP. And I uh, found that I was married to an HSP and that several of my children were HSPs. And so um, along that journey, I was also introduced to the work of Sherry Gregory. And um, and Sherry kind of became a little mentor, an HSP mentor for me. And I'm thrilled that Sherry has agreed to join me on today's podcast. So thank you, Sherry. Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast. Oh, Jill, I am just so excited to be here with you. Oh, I'm super excited that you said yes, because, you know, I shared my story in episode one, and I really... Um, I want it, I want people to have almost a well-rounded picture of why compassion is so very important because that's really the thing that I talked about in episode one is how important it is um, that we learn to be compassionate. God is compassionate. We are created in his image, and so he is a compassionate God. And so um, I am, uh, you know, just really excited for us to dig into this. So for those of you that don't know Sherry, Sherry is an author, she's a speaker, she's a collaborator, and she's a highly sensitive person. That's what HSP stands for. She is the founder of the Sensitive and Strong online community and the co-author of four books, including Sensitive and Strong, A Guide for Highly Sensitive Persons and Those Who Love Them, one of my faves. She and her husband, Daniel, who is also a highly sensitive person, have been married for almost 32 years. They have two grown children, Anne-Marie and Jonathan, and they are also HSPs. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, okay, let's go back before you even knew that an HSP was something. Like you didn't even know about it, Sherry. Um, so the first 45 years of my life. There you go. Yeah. So let's talk about the first 45 years of, of your life. 
what um, what was going on inside of you that um, you you know either grew frustrated with or you ran into challenges with what was going on in, in, in you know with your marriage what was going on in your parenting before you understood this concept talk about that for a moment well the biggest thing is I just knew there was something fundamentally flawed with me there was something wrong with me um, I felt like I was completely defective and wow. you know I say that I bought pretty much every self-help book on the shelves of Barnes and Noble or on the listings of Amazon because I knew that by looking around the world at other people that it was possible to be so successful, it was possible to be normal, it was possible. And I didn't have the words for what I thought my problem was, but I now know it was that I was just, I lived in this state of being perpetually overwhelmed. Like I couldn't handle life, I couldn't hack it. And the problem for many decades, um, especially probably the first decade of my parenting and teaching career, is if I tried hard enough, if I poured in enough effort, I could fake it pretty well. And so externally, I looked really productive. My kids had matching clothes that I sewed and you know all this kind of stuff. But the cost to me was utter exhaustion and burnout and never feeling a sense of satisfaction, never feeling, uh, you know, I now understand that I think this was the source of a lot of my perfectionism, mm. you know, like I, I am, I used to be a card carrying perfectionist and, you know, people say perfectionism is ultimately selfish and I understand we all struggle with the sin of pride and all that kind of stuff, but it was my attempt to become, to, to move from what I thought was this lowly status of broken and defective to just being acceptable because I wanted to belong. I wanted to be loved and who I was naturally and normally, um, I discovered as a young child, that was not okay. And mm -hmm. so I had all of these things that, that I used to compensate, but they were completely exhausting. Right, right. Wow. And I mean, that feeds and fuels shame, doesn't it? Oh, huge. I mean, because you, like you said, you felt like there was something fundamentally flawed about you. Man, that's some heavy words. Um, and that's why I think that uh, understanding um, what a highly sensitive person, you know, what makes them highly sensitive, um, what, how they, you know, what makes them tick, all of that uh, makes a difference. So, okay. So you are feeling flawed. You're struggling. Um, you're struggling on the inside, look pretty good on the outside, but at what point did you first learn about this concept of an HSP? So talk about that. It was, it was a moment where, you know, the Alleluia chorus almost, almost played through my head. I was re reading an early advanced copy of Susan Cain's book, Quiet, um, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. And she has a whole chapter on the highly sensitive person. And I read with highlighters and, and a pen to annotate. And I started just highlighting almost every, every paragraph. And, and in the, in the um, margins, I kept writing, this is me, this is me, this is me. And I finally had to stop because I just found myself weeping. I'm like, how does she know? And she was writing about this highly sensitive person um, quality as if it was okay as if it was normal, as if, and for me, when I can put a name on something, like there's a name yes. for this, it's a thing, it's real. 
And then, you know, as I'm reading, I'm thinking back all throughout my life going, oh, that's what happened then. That's what happened then. That's why people told me you're just too sensitive. That's why people said, Sherry, why do you take everything so personally? Well, if that's the way your brain is wired, you don't know any other way. It's the, the criticism I got implied that I knew what I was doing. I knew there were alternatives and I chose to do what I was doing instead of what other people thought I should do. And instead, this is just what my brain naturally did. Right. And so to realize, oh, hang on a second. There's a name for this. There's def definite qualities here. And, you know, some people have said, Sherry, you're just inventing a whole new victim culture. And I push back against that so hard because for me, discovering that being a highly sensitive person is real and that there are specific genetic components to it mm -hmm. has caused me to be able to take so much more responsibility for myself. Because before I just, I mean, if you're defective, what do you do, Jill? Oh. You can buy all the self-help books, but if they don't work, right. at some point you give up. Yeah. You're like, I am yeah. beyond hope. Right. But to find out there's a name for it and then there's, there's some skills that can be learned because yeah. one of the biggest problems I had was I was so overreactive. Like people mm. would be like, you're so emotional. You've got to learn to control your emotions. And it's like, actually, that's not quite how that works. <laughs> but I can learn to control the reactions. But when you don't, when you don't have a name for the problem, it's like, it's like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have a problem, but we're not going to give it a name then there's no course of treatment. There's no, no way to make progress forward. So it was such a moment of clarity and hope. And you know how in some of the Disney movies, there's this dark dismal scene and it's raining and thunder, like the end of Beauty and the yeah. Beast. Yeah. And then the miracle happens and suddenly everything becomes color and the sun shines. I mean, literally <laughs> that night I was reading in my bed. It was just like that. It was like, yeah. and it had the power to take, what for me was all these confusing, painful parts of my past and shine this light on them. So I was like, oh, I mm -hmm. understand myself, but I now understand everybody else. They weren't being mean. They weren't being cruel. They weren't being intentionally hard on me. They didn't know either. And yeah. so it really has just brought a whole new perspective uh, to my present life, to the future, but also to the past. And that's yes. been so exciting. Oh, I can totally see that. So I became aware of um, HSP. I'm trying to think when it was. Um, I was mentoring a young lady and she was struggling with some things. And she came into one of our mentoring sessions and said, I think I figured out what's what's going on with me. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, have you ever heard of an HSP? And I said, nope, never heard of that. And she begins to tell me about it. And as she's describing it, I'm going, I think I live with one of those. <laughs> and I, I think maybe I even gave birth to a few of them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's just like, for it, totally like you said, the Disney thing. Like, it was like, I literally like, saw things differently in that moment. I went home, I got online at this point in time. I didn't know you did anything with it. You know, I just literally got online. I found all kinds of, um, more secular resources mm -hmm. on the topic. I even found an online quiz and I was like, um, I, I said to my husband, Hey, would you take this little online quiz? I took it. I, it, I did not come out as an HSP and, and he took it and he did. And I thought, I knew it. I mean, just like you said, it was like, it made sense. And, um, 
And so it, it really helped me. Um, I was already on my let's kick the buck up mom and the buck up wife to the curb journey, but it propelled me to realize that I needed to really get serious about that because my buck up nature was like a double whammy to the HSPs in my life. Mm. So let's, let's, um, let's just describe this, um, describe what it means. And you talked just a minute ago, you mentioned the genetic component components of that. Let's talk about, uh, those genetic components. What, um, how do you, um, how do you better understand what's going on inside of an HSP? Hmm, sure. There's a variety of different genetics that um, kind of combine to, to, to make somebody an HSP. The, the main thing that really this is about is sensory processing sensitivity. And so HSPs are receiving um, input from their senses at a much higher rate, and then their brains are processing them at a deeper rate than those who are non-HSPs. And so, um, for example, my sense of smell is just constantly on overdrive. When yes. I was a junior high teacher and the boys would come in after PE and they had basically bathed in Axe body spray, you know, they would walk <laughs> in the room and I would instantly have a headache and like I could just feel my face flushing and I would have to, you know, open the windows, that sort of thing. It, most people aren't like that. Most people don't mm -hmm. have that kind of a reaction. Now, I, what I want to be clear here is I didn't make that up. It was all in my head because that's how my brain reacts to it, uh -huh. but I wasn't trying to be difficult. It's just that's when, when that kind of sensory stimuli comes in, that's the kind of reaction that I have. Uh -huh. So I think it's really important to, to realize we're talking here about sensory processing um, uh, sensitivity, and yes. every, every HSP has a slightly different constellation. Like I say, I am sensitive because my, my nose is my primary sensitivity. For my oh. husband, it's very visual. He's very visual. Both of my kids, it was more tactile. My son was actually tactile defensive as a child. He didn't eat textured foods until he was about 16. Like he missed out on Mediterranean food for 16 years. He now regrets that. But, but that's a term. That's a term I've never heard. Tactile dis defensive. Tactile defensive. Yeah. Meaning that anything that has an unusual texture, whether it's eaten or whether it's um, touched. The first time I put him a sandbox and I thought he was going to be so excited, he cried. He like touched the sand and he cried and wanted to be taken out of the sandbox. Oh. And both of my kids, they would be uh, back in the days when most of our clothes had clothing tags in the back. Yeah. I didn't just cut them out. I got out a seam ripper. And I literally took them out because if you cut tags out, sometimes it still leaves pokey things there. Yeah. yeah. And again, it, they didn't just focus on it out of anger or um, some kind of a self-centered annoyance. They felt it and couldn't concentrate until that stimuli was gone. And gotcha. so, yeah, yeah. But one of the interesting things that the research has found, it's, it really is a double-edged sword being an HSP. It's, it's very environmentally based. And so what they discovered is for HSPs in a non-nurturing environment, we actually wilt. Like we, we do po much more poorly than the average person, than non-HSPs. And so that's frustrating. That's, that's hard to realize about ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. um, we, we get the uh, reputation of being like an orchid, you know, 
But the positive side of this, the research is very clear that in a nurturing environment, we actually thrive more. We can do better than average people. And so it's kind of these extremes. And the, this is why finding out about being an HSP was so exciting. And then it's so exciting to hear from a story like yours because you've been so intentional. It doesn't take much to take that non-nurturing environment and tweak it to be more nurturing. Yes. And I'm not saying, let me be very clear, I'm not saying that this responsibility is put on other people. We as HSPs can take a certain amount of control of our environment in, in um, healthy and respectful ways. Yes. So that instead of um, languishing and, and being under stress, we can actually thrive no matter where we are. And then when people like you are willing to take it seriously and make some adaptations, then that makes it even, even uh, better. So uh, could you tell just some of the things that you did differently once you found out? I'm just so curious from your perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think part of it for me was um, I naturally am a fix it person. Mm. So I go right to how to fix the problem um, and I skip right over feeling it with them. And I began to realize that I needed to be intentional about feeling before I tried to fix. So I was just, um, you know, letting myself, um, I mean, quite frankly, here's what I was doing. I was biting my tongue until it was bleeding. That's what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Bless your heart. Um, but, but you know what, it was, it was honestly a a part of self-control that I feel like God was teaching me and to to just be far more sensitive to, I'm not highly emotional myself, but my husband is a natural feeler. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more of a thinker, Mm -hmm. so I work with logic. I will work with data, that kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, but he is definitely a feeler. And so I would began at the same time I was, I was going to counseling and my counselor was challenging me to learn to validate, um, because I would invalidate, Mm -hmm. you know, if he would say the sun is shining or he would say life is dark for me. I was quick to tell him why the sun is shining. And so I began to learn how to validate, how to sit in the pain with him. Not that eventually we couldn't talk about how the sun was shining, um, but but that I needed to not jump to that first because it it minimized his um, his feelings, his emotions, his thoughts, his his uh, perspective. Were you afraid at all that if you validated, it would make things worse? Yes. Yes. And I hear that, you know, Mark and I do a ton of marriage coaching. And sometimes when we have a situation where um, one person is more buck up and uh, the other is um, more tender hearted and more that feeler, um, that that's the one that's the one place that people really push back. Like, but that's not what they need, because if they if I do that, it just makes them go deeper into the hole. So talk about that just a little bit, Sherry, and, and why that, you know, is a common response, but why it's actually not true. Well, you know, just real quickly, the, the five key qualities of a highly sensitive person okay. um, are HSPs need time to process, HSPs are easily overstimulated, HSPs feel things intensely, HSPs are highly empathetic and HSPs notice nuances. So just to get those out there and then to apply that to what you just asked, 
Um, first of all, an HSP who says something like, you know, I'm in a dark place right now, they're in, in the midst of exploring some emotions, being aware of them. They are in a space where they need to do some reflection. Like, mm -hmm. I have no idea what I'm thinking about anything for 24 to 48 hours. And I'm also a social learner. So it sounds like Mark is also a social learner. Definitely. Where instead of needing to hide from people, he doesn't want to go in on mountaintop and be by himself. He wants a sounding board. He wants you to be his companion, his trusted witness to his life to help him process this out loud because he is a verbal processor yes i am an internal processor <laughs> <laughs> and and so we talk about that in our marriage courses in our marriage coaching because that is a place that couples do struggle because he needs to talk it out and you know here's what we say um you know from a, a humorous perspective he says uh, when I'm trying to sort through something, I think, or I talk about it, I talk about it, I talk about it, and I talk about it some more. And I say, and as an internal processor, I think about it, think about it, think about it some more. And then I tell him what we decided. <laughs> and he's like, when did we really talk about that? And I'm like, oh, we've been talking about it in my head for the last, you know. So yeah, totally. We run into challenges on that. But yeah, continue. But he needs the most from you. And, and, and this is going to be true of, of many. Of course, if you've met one HSP, you've met one HSP. But in, in general, one of the greatest gifts you can give to a highly sensitive person is that gift of empathy. Mm. Because HSPs tend to be very, very empathetic. And so they're busy feeling what other people are feeling. Like we can walk into a room and know, or I can sit in, in an in a, um, international house of pancakes and I can mm -hmm. look around at the different conversations and I can tell who's upset with whom. I can tell who's not talking to whom. I can tell who's faking a smile. Wow. You know, I can, I can just sense all of those things. And, uh, you know, I can do that in my personal relationships. And so I'm constantly extending empathy. And it's like, it's like half of a rainbow going out waiting for the other half to meet me or half of an arch, mm. you know, like in a cathedral waiting for that other half of the arch for stability. You know, yes. like a half of an arch in a cathedral would fall without the, you know, corresponding half to come and meet it in the middle. And of course, that's going to be, you know, a great deal of strength right there. And so I'm constantly putting my half out there. And then there's very few people who reciprocate, who mm. have what we call empathetic attunement. And right. it's very isolating to have so much empathy to extend so much empathy and to have so little coming in. So when it does come in, when somebody says, wow, that sounds really hard. Like I'm just tearing up right now, just even thinking about how grounding that is to have somebody mm. acknowledge that as a reality. And that is so few words. You just said, wow, that sounds really hard. That's it. And that's really powerful. Mm-hmm to receive, particularly as an HSP. And I would say it is even powerful for someone like me. I think empathy is powerful for all of us. Um, I don't crave it in the same way. I don't need it in the same way, but I do value it. Mm -hmm. um, but the hard part is when you're not an HSP, because you don't personally need it, you don't understand how important it is. Exactly. To those in your life where they're waiting for the other side of the rainbow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that makes us feel connected. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's incredibly bonding, makes us feel understood. And for me, at least, it then makes me be able to go, okay, this has been dealt with. Now let's get to the solution. 
now let's brainstorm. Now let's take action. Like, I think there are those who fear that if they validate the feelings, those intense feelings of a highly sensitive person, that they're just going to dwell there. That one of the many myths is that we love wallowing in our emotions. It's like, no, we're just trying to understand them, maybe give names to them so that we can move forward so that we can solve the problem. I mean, I think we end up having very similar goals. It's just, there's that step that needs to happen first. And often I think we realize that what to somebody, to to a thinker like you, the obvious solution is to just do this. We're like, I don't think that's quite the solution. Mm -mm. And we're wrestling with that internal intuition to figure out, oh, and so we just need help unpacking that. And then we can move forward towards the, to to the solution and moving past it. We don't want to stay stuck. Right. Right. Well, and I remember my counselor when he was really teaching me about validating and, and what, how Mark needed that validation in particular. I, um, I think he said something, you know, to the effect of it's like uh, people don't care what you think until they know that you care. And, and I think that's especially important for a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would agree. So talk a little bit about emotionality. You, you use that as a term. Tell us about what that is and what do we need to know about that? Well, I think overall in our society, emotions get a bad rap, at least the way I was raised. I was raised in a highly academic family. And then I was also raised in a fairly conservative Christian uh, community very, very Bible-based. I'm very grateful for that foundation, but we elevated logic and reason almost to godlike status. To some degree, we almost worshiped logic and knowledge, and and we were very suspect of emotions. Like, like emotions were, well, I was about to say verboten. Well, that'll tell you what my, my cultural heritage <laughs> right there, okay? And so, I grew up ignoring and not even really having names. And so it was not until I became an adult that I discovered anxiety isn't even an emotion. It's a physical state. And the value of being able to put names to emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, just this last week, I read an article, such a helpful article, on the difference between regret and self-recrimination. And I was Whoa. like, oh, I, I know. I'm still processing it. But it helped me realize, oh, I don't just have regret from the past. I actively engage in self-recrimination, which makes things worse. Well, for me, to be able to give things those kinds of names allows me to tame the uh, reactions that I'm having to things. So what a lot of people see with an HSP is they'll see these overblown emotions. Now, let me be clear. About half of us are criers and about half are not. Some of us express the strong emotions. Some keep it really stored up inside. Either way, it's still a very strong emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, oh, this is drama queen. This is attention seeking. And it's like, in many cases, it is the, the body's natural reaction to too much stimuli. There's been too much of the different of the five senses bombarding somebody all at once. Um, I'm remembering my husband and I once got stranded in Serbia, our plane left without us. And I mean, I can't imagine a worse place for an HSP than an airport. You just imagine all the sensory stimulation. And then you add the fact that your suitcases are on a plane that have just left and you don't speak the language. Right. And I remember, and at this point I was um, healthy enough to realize, okay, Sherry, you're going to have a a lot of emotions right now. Mm -hmm. And 
you get to control your reactions. You get to walk yourself through the reactions. And, and that was one of those moments where I realized I'd made a lot of progress because I used to think the two went together, that emotion and reaction were constantly together. And it's oh. like, I can walk myself. I am feeling devastated right now. I'm feeling abandoned right now. I'm feeling uh, uh, you know, worried right now. What's going to happen? All the money, you know, that kind of thing. But then I was able to, and this is, this is where I've almost done some reparenting of myself because that yes. part that's responding is kind of that inner child that's like, ah, I've been left. What do I do? And then the, that adult part of my brain is able to say, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It must be so scary to be in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you don't know what you're going to do right now. And I literally walked myself through and I said, you're in a safe place right now. There was a roof. It was, it was storming. It was a terrible storm. Mm -hmm. you, you, you are in a safe place. You are dry right now. There is food over there and you have a credit card in your purse. And I walked myself. So I was able to dial down my reaction okay. even as I was able to name and validate all of my emotions. And so I right. think it's important for all of us to realize that when we, when we demonize emotion, I think what we're really saying is that an overblown immature reaction is problematic. And that is always true. Like when I would have these, these huge meltdowns, it was the immature reaction that was mm -hmm. a problem that I needed to learn how to deal with. But the emotion wasn't the problem. Right. The emotion was a natural thing that my body was doing. And so that's, that's where I really like to tease these apart and separate yes. them. Because um, learning to name the emotion is so powerful. And again, that's a gift, I think, to any, any of us, whether we're HSP or, or non-HSP. Yes, I would agree. And, um, you know, one of the things I've uh, discovered about myself um, was as far as... Um, a, um, my, my tendency is to be an avoider and I would avoid emotion. Um, and you know, I grew up in a loving home, but we just didn't, we just didn't embrace emotions, probably very similar to yours where we really embraced, um, and, and it was, um, the logic and the knowledge and the education and all of that was very, very important. And so I really shut down that feeling side of me, um, because I didn't, I didn't see any value for it. And it wasn't until, um, I was doing some personal work and some inner work when my counselor said, Jill, you have said about five or six times, feelings don't matter. Feelings don't matter. And he said, you know, when, when did that lie get planted in your head? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Is it a lie? I don't think it's a lie. And he was like, oh, it's a lie. Cause you, um, you were created in the image of God and God is a feeling God. So you've, you've stopped that part of you. Oh, so, you know, that was a place So really a lot of my growth, probably over the last eight to 10 years, I've not, I mean, I, you just named several emotions. I, I couldn't name anything but happy and sad for the most part. And so that's been a journey I've been on of going, what am I feeling? Like, can I label it? I feel betrayed. I feel disappointed. I feel, um, you know, whatever. Um, it, and so, so a lot of thinkers that I talk to tell me that they're afraid that once they start feeling, they're going to go into an abyss that they can never come out of. <laughs> yes. So what's I've that been that. like for you to dabble in feelings? Jill? Yes. Um, that's a great question. And I know I have not found the abyss um, at all. I feel like I'm far more balanced and I'm grateful for that. Now, 
I will tell you, it has felt extremely vulnerable, mm. extremely vulnerable. Um, and that's a place even in my marriage I've grown because, um, you know, we had a marriage crisis at 20, 28, 29 years of marriage. And, um, and when I, when we started healing from that, one of the places I knew I had to stop avoiding emotion. And so I, um, I remember one of the first times I caught myself being sad about something and heading upstairs to cry in my bedroom alone, which I'd done for 29 years in my marriage. And then I thought to myself, nope, 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 nope. That's Jill point, Jill 1.0, Jill 2.0 lets her husband know that her heart is sad. And it, he didn't even make me sad. It was a, a circumstance, you know? And so I, it was very vulnerable to me that I had to turn myself around, walk back down the stairs, come in and just let him hold me and cry. And that had never happened in 29 years of marriage. So it, so embracing that side of me, probably it hasn't been an abyss, but it's been very uncomfortable and it's been very, very vulnerable. Mm. Um, but I'm grateful because I feel like I understand what it also has done though, is it's made me much more compassionate with my kids who are even adults now. And it's, it's changing that relationship with them and certainly more compassionate as a wife. Mm, mm. Yeah. So important, very, very important. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned is that HSPs tend to have servant leadership is kind of part of their DNA. Man, I see that in my husband. I see that in several of my kids. Talk about that for a little, a little bit. Well, one of the things that to me was so important is that um, a lot of HSPs, because they feel so defective, they feel like they have nothing to offer. And they um, avoid situations where they think they're going to uh, where, where they're going to overreact or they avoid situations where they're going to become overstimulated. Now, they wouldn't use those words for it. If, mm -hmm. if, if they have those words, then they start learning how they can metabolize and compensate and plan ahead for those kinds of circumstances. Um, but this, to me, is one of the great sadnesses of people not knowing their HSPs and of, of those of us who are parents or, or you know, teachers or whatever position we might be in, mm -hmm. thinking... Um, that, well, that's just so-and-so, you know, we'll just, we'll put them on the sidelines and hope they don't erupt today. Uh, you know, there, there's just so much more there. I'm actually, um, I completed my master's in leadership and I'm actually completing my research now for my um, doctoral in leadership. And at one point, my advisor actually told me, she said, uh, I don't think HSPs are made of leadership material. Well, wow. she didn't know me very well because that just made me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. We're probably not made out of charismatic leadership material. Like you're not going to see us on a stage jumping up and down and yelling and shouting and, you know, using a lot of pyrotechnics because that would be way too overstimulating. But <laughs> um, when it comes to servant leadership, which of course is the kind of leadership that Christ modeled for us when he was here on earth. So he is our role model as a servant leader. Um, Servant leadership involves a great deal of emotional intelligence. In fact, that is something that over the last 10 years, we've just seen a, sw a switch in uh, leadership research and leadership um, training. We've seen a real switch to understanding the need, like you've been saying, yes. the need for emotion, even in yes. our leaders, perhaps especially in our leaders. And when we start talking about emotional intelligence, there's five key components. There's self-awareness, self-regulation, internal motivation, empathy, and social skills. 
And HSPs just come pre-wired with that self-awareness. That's the deep reflection that we're constantly doing and empathy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then with just a little bit of skill building, self-regulation can be a part of that. And we do tend to be very internally motiv motivated. So um, I, I would just encourage anybody who is a highly sensitive person or who is close to a highly sensitive person to be looking at those areas in which they are a leader. It just may not be big and flashy, mm -hmm. but it's the kind of leadership that is yes. influence. It's the kind of leadership that is guidance. And, yes. you know, one of the places that I've learned because I now realize that I, I, don't, I don't handle surprises well, I don't handle pressure well, um, I don't make instantaneous snap decisions, which used to be seen as the gold standard for a real leader. Now we're starting to understand that actually taking some time to process, actually taking some time to um, get a variety of opinions and, and options is um, also a form of leadership. I'm not saying the best, it's just another form of leadership. And so um, I remember the first time this came to a head for me, I was in a faculty meeting and we were being asked to vote on something that had just been presented for 10 minutes. And I, I thought to myself, I can't, I can't form an opinion this quickly. I, I haven't done any research. I don't even know what questions to ask, let alone how to form um, a coherent decision. And this was shortly after I had learned I was an HSP and mm -hmm. I did the hard vulnerable thing. And I raised my hand and I said, there are some of us here. Cause at that point I realized that 15 to 20%, at least 15 to 20% of the people in any room are highly sensitive persons. And this is true of females okay. and, and males, males, as, as mm -hmm. you're aware. Yeah. And so I realized I did a quick count and there were 40 people in the room. And I still thought, okay, I'm going to raise my hand on behalf of 10 of us, eight to 10 of us, maybe. And I said, there are some of us here who need more time. We need time to process what's just been said. We need some, some data to be able to look at, could this vote be postponed for 24 to 48 hours or maybe even until next week? And so there was, you know, some huffing and puffing and that happened. And then I said, in the future, when we're going to have, you know, need to take a vote, could we please have the material given to us 72 hours in advance? so that mm -hmm. we can have time to look at it, process it, ask any questions so that if it's important to vote at the meeting yes. that we are able to do that. And, you know, I, I didn't think about that for several years. You know, several people came up and thanked me afterwards and I was like, oh, I was a troublemaker. And then mm -hmm. I realized afterwards, no, that was a small act of leadership of saying, this is what we need and realizing that those of us who do that research, who do that kind of processing, who do that kind of thinking, we bring something to the conversation. We yes. bring something important to the conversation. Now, you said you see servant leadership in Mark. Tell me, tell oh, me my how, how you see that. Yeah, definitely. Well, and you know what's been really interesting as he's learned more about him being a highly sensitive person. So for 10 years, he served on a church staff. Um, it was a very large church staff. And he was probably the only HSP on uh, the pastoral staff. And um, that was very difficult for him because if he had a gut about something, if he had a feeling about, but he couldn't produce the facts and he couldn't produce the, you know, then they just, uh, it was like they just poo-pooed him and, you know, they don't have, we don't have time for this. And they didn't value what that brought, what he brought to the table. Um, and so uh, definitely he has um, 
you know, I mean, I, I see that and it's been frustrating in his leadership. He's now he's determined that, I mean, what, one of the things, and I don't know if he'll ever go back into church leadership, but he has often said, I think that I, my personality, my temperament is better for a support pastor position than a leader pastor. Um, and, um, you know, I used to say when I led hearts at home, you know, anytime you are the leader, you have a bullseye on your back. Like you, you get reamed for all kinds of things, publicly, privately. Um, and that's really hard for him when he served as a senior pastor. Um, so, you know, for somebody, for me, it was hard for me, but things do tend to roll off of me for him. They don't roll off. Uh, because he's got such that sensitivity and that sensitive heart. Mm, yeah. And, you know, also HSPs can tend to ruminate if they, mm -hmm. if something has gone wrong. And part of that is they're just trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out how to do it better next time, but it's really easy to get caught in that. Caught in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think the other, another way that, that HSPs can be great leaders is in smaller groups. They can be mm. very, very effective um, uh, and very compassionate. You keep using the word compassion. I think that's so important here I'm all, all the way around, but especially in a smaller group setting. Right, right. So tell us uh, about your book, Sensitive and Strong, and um, uh, what ultimately compelled you to write it. And uh, I'm, I'm taking by the subtitle, you really do intend for both highly sensitive persons and those who love highly sensitive persons to read it. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, right after reading Susan Cain's book, discovering I was a highly sensitive person, I put together a book proposal and I went to She Speaks and we got publishers interested and then came the rejections and I was devastated. And because mm. there was no book on the market for the Christians from a Christian, for, from a specifically Christian worldview, because my belief is that God made you sensitive and in Christ, you are always strong. The, the strong of sensitive and strong is not our own strength. It mm -hmm. is the strength of Christ. And so I really wanted a book out there that was specifically from, you know, it was very biblically based and that kept turning people back to Jesus because those of us who are HSPs, we need him not just every day or every hour. We need him minute by minute, mm -hmm. especially when we're, we're having a, an overstimulating day. And so um, after that rejection, which of course was hard on me as an HSP, yes. God just started bringing people into my life, prominent speakers and writers in the Christian community. And it seemed like every, they were all HSPs who didn't know they were HSPs. And I didn't notice the trend until like the sixth person. And I'm like, oh Lord, you're bringing me another HSP. Okay, got it. <laughs> but like every other one of them had a different reaction. Like one of them would be like, oh, Sherry, thank you. This is such good information. I took that quiz. I'm an HSP. It explains everything. And I'd be like, yes, okay. Another convert because I'm, I'm a total, you know, I'm a total HSP evangelist. Mm -hmm. But then the next person would be like, no, this is terrible. I don't want to be an HSP. I can't be an HSP. How do I cure this? Don't tell anybody. And I'd be like, what? And so mm. I, I kept having enough of those responses with Pete women I loved and respected greatly. And I'm like, yeah, I finally got, got it through my head. Uh, there's two very different reactions. There's a reaction mm. like mine where it was, I mean, you probably heard it in my voice, so excited to find out that I'm an HSP. This is wonderful news. So yeah. I'm in the camp of I'm an HSP, yay! But there's this equally valid camp, I'm an HSP, no way. And I discovered what I needed was a co-author. And so that's Denise J. Hughes, who worked with Encourage for many, many years and wrote a wonderful book called Deeper Waters. Um, she's an HSP. But she never really wanted to admit it. She, I mean, to this day, she hasn't 
it, she, the, just even the idea of embracing it is like, oh, and it's because in her family growing up, the whole idea of being a sensitive was a weakness. She grew up with brothers. And mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. she, she totally buys into the science of it, but she's much more of a reluctant HSP. And so I knew that for this book, we needed uh, the yaysayer and the naysayer to be mm. able to take those perspectives and to be able to say, both of these experiences are valid. And then the way we divided the book up was look up, look in to, to discover these things about ourselves, look up to Jesus and then look out. And uh, it was Denise who pointed out that in much of the HSP literature, whether it's uh, books or articles, there's only two things that, that they emphasize. Take this quiz, go take care of yourself. And, and, and that tends to be it. And, and we really want to take the approach, learn about yourself, learn what you need so that you can go serve others and really have that fulfillment in life that comes because we weren't created to focus on ourselves. We weren't created to gaze at our navels. We were created to serve. Yes. And if we don't know that we're HSP, we may be trying to force ourselves into molds that don't fit. And the other thing I d discovered is so many people who are HSP because they feel weird, defective, all that kind of stuff, they don't practice self-care. They don't take good care of themselves, so they aren't able to serve well. But when they discover they're an HSP, then it's not so much a matter of self-care as it's a matter of stewardship of yes. the body and the brain that God created them with so that they can serve him by serving others. And we just felt that's so important because yeah. HSPs yeah. have so much to offer. We are, they're so necessary. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that Mark and I are really um, intentional about and is helping people to know the next right step. So could you, um, could you offer a word of wisdom for the HSP who's listening and what a next right step might be for them in their journey. And then for maybe a non-HSP that's listening, that uh, could be a next right step for them uh, in embracing this reality of the people in their lives uh, that are highly sensitive. So could you... Could you give us maybe um, a practical step for each of us? Sure. I mean, if, if you're an, somebody who suspects you might be an HSP, but you've never taken an HSP quiz or anything like that, if you go to sensitiveandstrong.com, I've got a simple quiz there that's called, am I a highly sensitive person? Like, can't get more <laughs> straightforward than that. And so you can take it. But the other thing that could be really valuable, if there's people in your life that you trust, if they're what I call safe people, that if you give them vulnerable information, yes. they will cheerlead you. They won't use that information against you. Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage you to print that quiz out and share it with them and, because it's developed on a continuum where there's several different scenarios. And so you rate it on a scale of zero to four and just those various scenarios, it's five, uh, uh, sorry, it's 25 different scenarios. Okay. You could have such a wonderful discussion with um, a person in your life that, that is a supporter, okay? I would not recommend doing this with a person who's an unsafe person or even just that neutral person because new information like this, you need that supportive person with you. And then I'd also encourage somebody who's not an HSP. They, you could go, you could download the quiz and just see what the information is there. Yeah. And then I've also got an article, um, I'm trying to remember its name. I believe it's called what you need to know about highly sensitive people in your life okay. or something like that. But I can, I can give you the link for that, um, Jill. And it really does go through some of these myths and some of these truths. And then also 
um, very specific things to do and not to do. If, if you are like you, Jill, if, if somebody listening mm-hmm. is like you and wanting to be proactive, wanting to make some, some reasonable adaptations yes. Yes. Um, to be more loving to that HSP in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And um, you have like an online community, is that correct? For fellow HSPs. Yeah, it is a paid community. It's called the Sensitive and Strong Community Cafe. We okay. keep it fairly small because HSPs are easily overwhelmed. It's not on Facebook because even though many of us do use Facebook, it's a bit of a nightmare for HSPs. And it is a place where growth minded HSP Christian women can support each other and learn together and um, really get a sense of what God has called them to do in terms of service to others. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want you to define something because you just said it's a place for growth minded, highly sensitive persons. If you're not growth minded, what are you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm referring to Carol Dweck's research on a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Mm. And, uh, you know, I have spent decades in a fixed mindset. So I don't want to bash anybody who is there. But one of the things I have discovered, and I'm sure you've discovered this as you work with couples too, yeah, that you have some people who are ready to go. They're ready to learn. Just give me the information. I'll work on it. I'll digest it. I'll, I'll make the changes. I will process this. I will get down on my knees. I will practice. I will try. I'll be vulnerable. You know, that's mm-hmm. such an example, uh, Jill, of a growth mindset that you started to go upstairs to cry and you told yourself, no, I'm going to go do the hard, vulnerable thing. That it was growth mindset right there. Fixed mindset would have said, no, can't do it too hard. He won't, it, it mm. won't turn out well. So I'm going to do what I've always done. And so we have, I have learned over time that God did not uh, call me to lead a support group. He called me to facilitate a learning community. And so gotcha. that's what the sensitive and strong community cafe is. Gotcha. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing that difference in the mindset. Um, I think that that's really important for us you know, that, that would be a good reflective question for every one of us listening to this. Do I have a fixed mindset as it relates to my parenting, as it relates to my marriage, as it relates to um, my, my faith? Or do I have a growth mindset um, as it relates to those things and other parts of my life? I think that is so very, very important. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. Um, This has been a fabulous conversation. And my hope is that it has um, opened hearts and um, maybe helped people to, to, for the first time to go, oh my gosh, I, you know, either I am a sensitive, highly sensitive person, or I live with one, I'm pretty sure. Um, And I do think the more that we understand how God wires us uniquely, the better off we op- we operate in life. And so um, I'm just super thankful that you said yes to joining me. Thank oh, you so I am much. so grateful for your invitation. Thank you, Jill, for being such an advocate for HSPs. I, that just, we appreciate you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Well, uh, this is Jill Savage and Sherry Gregory, and we are signing off with uh, an encouragement to embrace authenticity and to learn to love your real life, even though it's imperfect, messy, and sometimes challenging. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. 
You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life. <laughs>